symptoms, what would you tell them? What, what would be your advice to them? And my response to her and what my response to most people when they tell me that they're having some personal problems is, have you been to church lately? And I started thinking about that response. How, how would going to church one hour, maybe two hours a week, how is that going to fix this deep-rooted sin problem of anxiety, or really any other sin problem for that matter? It, it would be kind of like this. I, I'm a dent, dentist, and it, it'd be like you or, or me saying, okay, from now on, I'm done. I, I'm tired of brushing my teeth. I'm tired of flossing my teeth, and I'm done. I'm, I'm not going to do it ever again. I'm no longer brushing. I'm no longer flossing. But every six months, I'm going to go to the dentist, and I'm going to get my teeth cleaned. And you're crazy to think that that's going to give you healthy teeth and healthy gums, because it's not. And we're crazy to think that showing up to the services one, maybe two times a week, and being unaffiliated with the church the rest of the time is going to fix our sin problem. So this morning, I want to talk to you about checking the church box, because I think as, as a society, that's something that we've gotten into the habit of doing, is just show, thinking, I'm going to show up to church, I'm going to check that box and that's going to make me a good Christian. And, and I think that as we go through the sermon this morning, you're going to see a tremendous difference between the assembly of the church and the community of the church. Because in my studies, I've found that there's a tremendous difference. And the, and the New Testament distinguishes those two differences. And I think it's an, it's an important thing that we recognize that. As we start our sermon this morning, there's a Greek word that, that I want to go over. It's the only Greek word we're going to use, and that's the word ekklesia. And I've heard that word tossed around here before, so I know that you're familiar with that term. Um, and I don't want to make this complicated, but I think it's a term that we need to understand uh, because it's used 115 times in the New Testament. And so it's something that's very important um, for us to understand um, what it is. And that, this ecclesia is the New Testament word for church. It's what translates to church. And so as we start our study, I want to find out what did this word, ecclesia, mean to just a standard, ordinary person in the New Testament, the first century? Not even a Christian, but what did it mean? And we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 19, but before we do that, some background to this is Paul um, was preaching to the people at Ephesus, not in a church, but out in public. He was preaching, um, and he was teaching these people about Christ, and these people got very, very angry that he was doing so because they worshiped Diana. And Diana was a very important god to them. And they get very angry uh, with Paul and his other companions. And so they capture them and they, they uh, take them to this big amphitheater um, there. And this is what it says. Some therefore cried in this, in this amphitheater. They have this meeting. And in verse 32 it says, Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly or the ecclesia was confused. And most of them did not know why they had come together. And so, just to an ordinary person, an ecclesia was... I think I'm getting a lot of feedback right here. <laughs> Try moving. Um, an ecclesia was just the community coming together. Um, where the town would come together, they would have a meeting together and they would make decisions um, for the town or, or about uh, problems that, that they were facing. Here's an example of when Christ first used it. This is in Matthew uh, chapter 16. Christ said, I will build my church, or I will build my ecclesia, 
and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And you're familiar with that verse. It's a very common verse that we read a lot. But it would have been odd for people to hear Christ use this word in this sense because for so long they had heard it be in reference to the community coming together, not specifically Christ saying, I'm going to build my church and my, I'm going to pull my people together. And that, that's exactly what Christ wants us to be, though. He wants us to be a community that's pulled together for a purpose. And we'll see that as we go forward with our, with our study this morning. Ecclesia is made up of two words. And it's just like if I were to, to tell you, or we were talking about a toothbrush, um, you can figure out what the definition is of that because it's a, it's a, a uh, combination word where you have a tooth and you have brush and you put those together and you figure out it's a brush for your teeth. And the word ecclesia is the same way. It comes up of two, two words, ek, meaning out of, and kaleo, to call out. And when you put those together, you get the definition of what ecclesia is, and it's the called out. And we get that, that definition where those two uh, Greek words are used together in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He writes there, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that's exactly what we're supposed to be. We're the called out. We're people called out of darkness because of Christ. We also find in uh, Acts chapter 2 where ecclesia, this word for church, is used as the community of God's people. Verse 47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church, or the Lord added to the ecclesia daily those who were being saved. Also in Romans 16, verse 5, Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Epineatus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. And so these are examples of where ecclesia is used as the community of Christ. People that were, were called out of darkness. And one thing about this community of God's people is I would say it's an invisible Community. It's a spiritual. It can't necessarily be seen. The people um, that make up this is the saved people only. It's only people who have been saved. And that's in contrast to this, how it's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This is talking about an assembly. It says, But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church or at the ecclesia. Let him speak to himself and to God. And so in this sense, it's a tangible, it's the tangible people. And it's an example here where we're a part of an ecclesia, an assembly of people. And this includes both people who are saved and people who are not saved. This morning there are people here who've, who've been Christians their whole lives, and there's possibly people here who haven't been baptized, who haven't been saved. And so we see the, the difference between the community of God's people being those who are saved and this assembly of people who is including both the saved and the unsaved. And so we see this visible church and this invisible church. And, and you, you, you hear people say, I'm going to church tomorrow. And what we really mean by that is, I'm going to the building tomorrow to worship God with, with people. And then another phrase is, where do you go to church? And this is a hard, this is a hard phrase because this concept of where where do you go to church that wasn't necessarily a a problem or a question that people in the first century would have had this uh denominations 
um, didn't exist back then. And then you also, in the first century, you never saw a building referred to as a church. Um, that happened somewhere around 500 A.D., where this concept of a building being associated with the church, um, that's when that started to happen. And so we may call this building a church, but that's not necessarily a, a New Testament biblical concept. This is a phrase that, that I think is really important to under, understand. We go to an ecclesia because we are the ecclesia. And so um, without the ecclesia, this, this building is just a building. It doesn't become the church. It doesn't become God's people until you show up. And I think that's an important thing to, to understand because this concept has really messed up our society when it comes to people being involved in the church. We think that just showing up to a building makes us check the box for showing up to church and being involved in church. So for a little bit, I want to talk to you about community in the ecclesia because I think it's an important I think it's important to understand what it means to be a part of community, what it means to, to be involved in, in community. As I was putting this sermon together, um, this is an actual picture that I took out of my Bible. This is in Acts chapter 2, um, where the, the heading of that was, A Vital Church Grows. And when you see that, that heading, it makes you want to read it, doesn't it? And so let's do that this morning. We'll read... Um, We'll read what that says, because I want to know how to grow this body of believers. Acts chapter 2, verse 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one another in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And, and you, you look at all these words that I've highlighted. They were together. They had all things common. They sold their possessions. They divided among any who had need. They were in each other's houses daily, house to house. They had favor with all people. You want to know how to grow the church? You have to be together. You have to be a part of community. This group of believers here in Acts chapter 2 sold everything. And they were apart together. And they had all things common. They ate together daily. And I hope that, that as you look into your life, I hope, I hope you kind of look at where can I change that? Where can I be better at trying to be a part of this community here? The problem is, and, and I'm a visitor here, but I don't even know some of your names. And, and you, most of you, or some of you probably don't even know mine. And so look around here, and if you're a member here, see who you don't know. And that's going to indicate to you... If you need to start trying to be more part of community, if you know, if to decide if you know who everyone is here or if you don't know who they are, I looked at some Pew Research studies as I was putting this sermon together, and this particular one asked how involved are Christians in their congregations, and they rated um, their responses from high, medium, and low. High uh, involvement was if you went to church multiple times a week, if you were involved in prayer groups if you were involved in studies outside or fellowship outside of church, and then medium and then low 
underneath that. Um, but the Church of Christ was 44%. 44% was high involvement. And so I want you to kind of do some self-study for a second and decide, are you a part of the 44%? Or are you a part of the other 56%? Are you highly involved? Or are you kind of removed from what the church here is doing? And you, with this, so it studied the Church of Christ and it studied a lot of different other um, denominations and other religions even. And it, one of the ones that was interesting to me was Latter-day Saints, the, the, the Mormon uh, church. And they were around 77%, 78% of high involvement. And I've spent a lot of time with uh, Latter-day Saints and Jehovah's Witness. And I believe that that's true because every day, every weekend, they are constantly involved in each other's lives. They're eating together. The weekends are filled with activities. And I know there's a lot of things that are wrong with that, but I think the community aspect of things, they've got it figured out. And I think as, as the Church of Christ, we need to start doing a little bit of deep diving to figure out where can we improve on, on that side of things. How involved are we in community? Because I want you to desire to be a part of the ecclesia. Do you desire to be here? Do you desire to be around fellow Christians? Do you look forward to seeing the people here on Sunday morning and and throughout the week with that as well. Part of, the, uh, part of the study that I looked at is it listed the top five reasons of why people go to church. And these are great reasons. Number one was to become closer to God. So children will have a moral foundation to make me a better person for comfort in times of trouble and sorrow or I find, I find the sermons valuable. And these are all great reasons. But number six, way down the list, about 50% of people went to church to be part of a community of faith. And the problem with that is that's what church is, is the community of God's people. And so you can kind of see the, the problem with society defining what church is based on this study because people don't understand what church actually is, what it means to be a part of a community of believers. That is what church is. Among those who rarely attend religious services, nearly 4 in 10, so 37%, say they, go, they don't go to church because they practice their faith in other ways. What does that even mean? That, that was kind of a, that, that's odd. And what that tells me is that there's little desire for people to be involved in community. And I think the, the root cause of this is how self-absorbed we are. We have so many things that we want to do that we're not a part of the community of church. And you look at how church, how people define church or how society defines church, and it's all about what can the church do for me. And that's not what church is. Yes, that's part of church, but how can I be a part of a community? And I hope that you desire to be a part of, of the community of the church here. So you look at two different uh, lifestyles. One is the individualistic mindset, and one is the community mindset. And we'll contrast these for a second. It's this me versus we mentality. An individual, individualistic person, it's all about individual achievement in that mindset. About self-expression, where it's self-centered and it's non-committal. And if you're not committed to something, you don't show up to it because you don't care about it. 
community though, when you're part of community, it's all about group success. It's all about what can I do to help this group succeed. It's about relationships because I care about your success and you care about my success. It's authentic and it's committed because when you care about something, you show up, you commit to the cause. And this, of course, this community side is what God calls the church to be. That's what God wants us to be a part of. So we read Acts chapter 2 earlier talking about how people sold all their possessions. Um, they were in each other's houses daily. Um, and that continues. And we move on to Acts chapter 4. So two chapters later, it says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of land or houses sold them brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And so going off the definitions that we just looked at of individualistic versus community, what does this look like to you? And of course, this is a community-centered mindset here where everyone cared about each other. And in this instance, they had sold all their land and they had given it to, to people who had need. This is what... This is how the church is best spread and how the, the church is best grown. And so again, I ask you, do you desire to be a part of the community of, of God, the church of God? Or are you disconnected from the ecclesia? Now, I really want you to think about that, that question. Are you disconnected? You may come to the assembly on Sunday mornings, but are you truly connected to the people here, to the church here? Hebrews 10, verse 25, you've probably heard this read a lot. It says, Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And through my childhood and, and probably through your life, you've heard this verse used as a church attendance verse. You need to be at the assembly. Don't forsake the assembling of the church. And I think there's some truth to that. But you go... And look at the context of this verse in verse 24. It says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And there's a comma, meaning that thought continues on. How do you stir up love and good works? By not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. By showing up. By being a part of each other's lives. How are you going to stir up love and good works in people's lives if you're not around them? And I think that's the point that he's making here. And I'm not trying to say that church attendance isn't important. In fact, I'm trying to say the exact opposite. I think we've set the bar too low. And I think that, that our standard for, for showing up and being a part of church, if our standard is just being here on Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon, then we've set the bar way too low. The standard needs to be raised. Because I think when you look at at the, the church and how the church grows so quickly in the New Testament, that's not how the church grow, grew by just showing up once or twice a week. It grew because people were involved in each other's lives, every aspect of it. Is it possible that there are those here with perfect assembly attendance who have done no more to love their church family than a how are you in passing in the foyer? Think about that. Is it possible that there are those here who have perfect assembly attendance but never see or talk to their Christian family outside of this building? 
I don't know. That's a question that you have to ask yourself. I don't go to church here very much, so I don't, I don't know the demographic of, of how, pe- how involved people are here. But I think it's an important question for you to ask yourself. Because community is not just a how are you in passing in the foyer. It's a how are you doing? Like how, how spiritually are you doing? What can we do to help you? What can we do to help each other? That's what community is. That's what ecclesia is. Another phrase that I found as I was preparing this sermon was, I'm spiritual but not religious. Have you heard that phrase before? It's a, uh, it was kind of a buzz phrase that, that went around from, I don't know, 2008, 2009, and it's kind of continued. Um, it was a phrase that basically meant, I want to have spirituality, I want to have religion, but I don't want to have to deal with people, and I don't want to have to deal with a community of people telling me what I need to do and what I don't need to do. Basically, I want to love God, but I don't want to have to love His people. And I I ask you, do you think like that? Because in 2009, 72% of 20 to 30-year-olds, so people that are now 10 years after that, so 30 to 40-year-olds, so my generation, 72% of people said they were more spiritual than religious. And I, I think that shows in how my generation is together with their church. For an illustration, say, uh, say Yancey comes up to me and he says, I think you are the coolest. You are awesome. Everything you do is awesome. You're tall. You're handsome. You're good looking. I think you and I can be friends. I think we can hang out. We can do a lot of things together. But your wife, your wife, I don't like the way she walks. I don't like the way she talks. I don't like the way she looks. But you and I, we can be friends. What am I going to say to that? No. If you want her, you get me. If you want me, you get her. We're together. There's no separation. And a lot of times, that's what we try and do with the church. We try and say, I want to love God. I want to love Christ. I want to love the Bible but I don't want to have to deal with this. I don't want to have to deal with the hypocrites that go to church. And that's a problem. That's what causes this, where people want to be more spiritual than religious. You can't love God without loving His people. As we've seen this morning, that's what church is, is the people of God. Ann Greeley, who's a professor at Sacred Heart University, I don't know a whole lot about her, but I liked what she said here says, people seem not to have the time nor the energy or interest to delve deeply into any one faith or religious tradition. So they move through collecting ideas and practices and tenets that most appeal to the self, but making no connections to groups or communities. Is that where you're at? Or do you have a focused attention on the church here? Do you care deeply enough to, to have good relationships with the people here? I hope you do. Think about that, though. Has it affected you? Are you so connected to everything that you're not connected to this one specific thing, that being the church here? For just a minute, I want to talk about virtual church because I think this is a, a, something that plagued our society. Um, and it, it's been around for a long time. I remember growing up and, and watching, uh, turning on Channel 10, and the Baptist church was, had their preacher on. It's been around for a long time, but I think with COVID, it really, um, 
exasperated or exaggerated, not exasperated, exaggerated um, the problem here. And that's this idea of I can go to church without really going to church. And I think there's a tremendous benefit to these things. I think you look at podcasts and I can log on and I can look at, at what Amarillo's sermons were or Norman or here. I can be living in Alaska and I can see what y'all had uh, as a sermon, which is great. Facebook Live, it's a tremendous blessing if you're sick or if you're shut in where you can't go and do anything. But it's not a replacement for being at church. It's not a replacement for skipping out on being a part of community. And I, I hope that, um, that as you look at virtual church, I hope you'll not see it as a replacement, but you'll see it as a just in case I need or I have to miss or something like that. I know Jordan and I have had uh, some experiences with it, and there's been times when we would go, we were in Florida, and we thought, well, we can just log on and we can watch the Anna Street Church. And yeah, you can do that, but you miss out on so much of the community and the fellowship and being together with people. And I think it's such an important thing that if you can be here, you need to be here. Not only here, but every day of the week, you need to be involved in each other's lives. And I hope that you'll do that. I think you can see on society's definition of church that virtual church checks the box. Because if you just have to show up and you don't have to be a part of community, you can do that if you use that definition of church. But if you use the definition that we've used this morning, where you're involved in every part of each other's lives, whether that's eating and drinking and, and uh, playing games together or, or whatever that is, that's what we need to be. That's what we need to be part of the, the community of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 4 and 5, before we get to our next point, it says, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And so the church can't function at its highest level without the participation of everyone here. The church needs you here. It needs people who are of different backgrounds and have different... Um, functions it needs you here because that's how the, the church grows that's how the church functions its best is through unity and oneness and we're going to look at this idea of oneness in the ecclesia because i think that's the heart of this sermon it's, it's so important to have unity together ephesians chapter 4 is really the perfect description of oneness and, and i want to look at that and you've probably you're probably familiar with Ephesians chapter 4, but let's read these first six verses real quick. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with, with which you were called. And that's that root word that we looked at earlier of kaleo, meaning to call out. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. And, and you can see all of the, where it talks about one, 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 one. That's all unity. That's the purpose. That's what God wants from this group of believers here, is to be unified together. You look at, it says, endeavoring to keep the unity in the spirit and the bond of peace. And you look at what the word 
bond means, and I think of gluing something together. Are you glued together to the church here? Are you, when you have a bond, you can't separate it. Or are you detached from the church here? Think about that. Paul stresses oneness in everything, in every aspect of your life. You're supposed to be connected to the church here. So let's look at this, this idea of unity through diversity for just a minute. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to show this. And in the first 11 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said the Spirit came and he gave you a gift and you a gift and you a gift and you a gift. Not that you would only use your gift and you would only use your gift and you'd only use your gift, but that everyone cooperatively would use your gifts together and you would have a great outcome because of that. And everyone would be benefited because of that. We pick up in verse 12. Paul writes, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. And so the Spirit of God wants us to build a family together, is what that, those three verses there show me. Really, that whole chapter is about God building a family together, even though we have different things, even though we have different talents. And he, he talks about, on that fifth line, whether Jews or Greeks. And you know the backstory of the Jews and the Greeks. They hated each other. They were two people who were so culturally different. They were exactly opposite. They hated each other because of it. And that they couldn't live together peacefully. And that's what God says. He's, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take my people, the people who have, I've blessed for the last 2,000 years or more, and I'm going to take these Gentiles who are brand new into this, and I'm going to make you a family. And you're going to have unity. You're going to be unified together. That sixth line, whether slaves or free, we know what that is. Those are completely opposite. Someone who owns someone and someone who's owned by someone. Two completely different opposite types of people who hated each other. And he said, I'm going to put you together. I'm going to make you a family. You're going to be unified together through your diversity. And he gives them unity through that, through Christ. You've heard people and you've had people in your life probably say, well, I'm just going to, I'm quitting the church. My family is going to worship with my family. We're going to do things separately because we all believe the same thing um, and it'll be good. It'll be better that way. And the problem with doing that is your family looks a lot like you. And with that, we'll go through this illustration. Paul gives the illustration here of an eye. He said, if, if, if everyone was an eye, where would be the hearing? And I think that application can be made to the church. If everyone thought the same thing, if everyone had the same talents, the church wouldn't grow. Imagine that you're an eye. Everyone in here is an eye. There's probably 60 people in here. There's 60 eyes in here. You're all an eye. What happens when you're an eye and your only function is to see what happens when you're an eye and you get something in you? You walk around to your other eye friend and say, help, I need help. So, well, I had that help happen one time and that stinks. What do you need? You need a hand. You need someone who can get that out of your eye. Well, those, those hands, I, I just can't go to church with them. They irritate me. I don't want anything to do with them. 
That's the problem with thinking that way. Is, and that's what, what Paul is getting at here, is you need diversity. Because it's what help, helps grow the church. And I hope that as you go forward, you don't have that, that mindset of, well, I want to just worship with people who think exactly like I do. Because that's the problem that you get into, is there's no unity, there's no diversity with that. But you can have diversity and you can have unity at the same time. And I think that's what Paul is really stressing out here. Stressing at here. Think about Matthew and Simon. Jesus called 12 disciples, and he couldn't have picked two more diverse people than Matthew and Simon. Matthew was a tax collector, as you know, and Simon was a zealot. And until a few years ago, I didn't know what a zealot was. But a zealot is someone who hates the Roman government. They wanted to overthrow the, the Roman government. And you look at, at Matthew, who worked for the Roman government. He was a tax collector for the Roman government. And he takes these two people that, that hated what each other stood for, and he calls them to be his, his apostles, two of his apostles, where they had to work closely together, and they, they lived together, and they, they spent every aspect of their life together. And I think that's, that's how amazing the gospel is, and how amazing Christ is, that he can take two people who are completely opposite and he can make them brothers. And I think that's what he does for us every day of our lives. There was a book that I read, and you're probably familiar with the Screwtape Letters. It was a C.S. Lewis book. Um, we had to read it for eighth grade English. But I think some really important points that I took from that, um, first of all, it's, it's about this older devil, this uncle devil, who is writing to his nephew devil, on how to, get this, how to get this guy to leave Christianity. This, the, the patient, as it's referred to in, uh, as Screwtape refers to him, the patient is a newly converted Christian. And Screwtape is writing to his nephew on all the ways to get this new Christian to leave the church. And he says, I note with grave displeasure that your patient has become a Christian. There's no need to despair. Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp and are now with us. All the habits of the patient, both mental and bodily, are still in your favor. Or are still in our favor. And what he goes on, he, he continues with that and he says, if you want to get him to leave the church, get him to start nitpicking on every difference in that church. Get him to fixate on all the problems, all the ways that you're different, and he'll start to leave the church. <coughs> And I hope that as you look into your life, is that, are, are you one of those who kind of fixates on all the negative things? Or do you look at how can we build unity? How can we be one together? Because I, th- I think that's what the ecclesia does. The ecclesia wants to have unity even though we're diverse. 1 Peter 4 verse 8, Above all things, have fervent love one for, another, for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And I think this verse really hits home with what we're talking about. Have fervent love for one another. Love so much that, that you'll overlook problems, that you'll overlook nitpicking all these little things. Have fervent love that you'll want to spend time together and be involved in a community together. If you do, the church will thrive. The church will grow. People are going to see how you, how you interact with each other, how much you love each other and, and want to be together, that they're going to want to be a part of that. 
and the church will grow. So as we wrap things up, I want to go over a few practical tidbits. I know that as we start this New Year's uh, tomorrow, that people look for resolutions. And I think that some of these are a few good ideas that maybe the church here and that you as individuals can put into your life to change how you view church and how you interact with the church family here. Have others over for dinner. I put others in quotation marks because we get in the habit of having the same people over and over and over again. That we, we just, uh, we, we like who we like hanging around. But sometimes it's good to, to invite others over for, for dinner or for, for whatever, coffee. Say yes. And the problem a lot of times is, for Jordan and I, we've asked people in Alaska where we go to church, you want to come over tonight? You want to play games tonight? And the answer is always no. And it gets really hard to keep asking when the answer is always no. And so when people ask you to do something, even though you probably don't know or haven't spent a lot of time with them, say yes. I think it's really important for the church to grow is that you have to be a yes man when it comes to this kind of stuff. Be early to the assembly. That can be hard sometimes. I've got a three-month-old. That can be really hard sometimes. And things happen. But really make it a priority to be early to church. The church, uh, I mean, one of the functions of being here on a Sunday morning is get to talk, getting to talk to each other and speak to each other. And if you're here late and you leave really quick afterwards, we don't get to spend a lot of time talking to each other. On the same line... Stay late. Stay late a little bit. And some of the best conversations I've ever had are an hour after church services. And I hope that there's nothing that's that important in your life that you'll skip out early and that you want to you be gone so quick. Plan an activity. And I, I know the church here plans a lot of activities. There used to be a camping trip. and uh, Is that still a thing? Maybe. Um, it's, it's, it's just one of those things that is just really good to be involved with each, with each other. Um, several years ago where we went to church, probably seven or eight years ago, everybody always said, well, we never do anything as a church. Plan something. If you're that person who says, well, we never do anything, maybe that's because you haven't planned it. And if you're not a planner, maybe that's something that in this new year that you can do is, is find something that the church can be involved in together and try and get people to, to be involved with your plan. I think that, that would be a good thing to do. Whatever the case is, whatever you take from this morning, I hope that you'll be a member of the Ecclesia. I hope that you'll be a part of the church. The church here, yes, on Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Wednesday night Bible study. But I hope going forward you'll truly be a part of this church. I hope it's something that you value so much that you'll, you'll put the world aside, that you'll be involved with the people here and be a part of this community that God wants us to be. We read this verse earlier, 1 Peter 2, verse 9, but you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that's what Christ did for us. He lived, he died, so that he could call us out into his marvelous light. Call us out of darkness. We were once there. We were once in darkness. You were once in darkness. But Christ died so that you could be pulled into light. And I hope that you want to share that with other people. I hope that as this church, as you look forward to growth in 2024, 
I hope that you're looking to pull people out of darkness and into the light of Christ. That's what the church is here for. And this morning, if, if the church can do anything for you, I don't, I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what problems you have. I don't know what sin you have in your lives, but the church cares. The church wants to help you. The church, it's full of broken, damaged people. And the church wants to help broken and damaged people. That's what Christ died for. And I hope that if you have anything in your life that you want to help with, I hope you'll come to the church. And you can come this morning publicly, but Matt and Yancey, we can get you their cell phone number. If you need to come to them privately and ask for help, that's what the church is there for. That's what your elders here want to help you with. And so this morning, we're going to offer an invitation. Jesus came, lived, and died so that he could purchase his church. And he died so that, that you could have forgiveness of your sins and you could be a part of this church. And if the church can do anything for you this morning, we want to do that. Won't you come while we stand and, and sing this invitation song?